Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, uh, we're back <laughs> for another episode of Trapped Under Plastic, you podcast for the uh, self-diagnosed plastic crack addict. Okay, yeah. Self-diagnosed plastic crack addict. Yeah, if you would have said that smoothly, that would, <laughs> that would, I would like that. That's it's good. got a little half rhyme thing going on here, So, and also I have a stutter. You know, I realized yesterday when i have a script to read in front of me there are just certain phrases and i've known this for a while that i just lock up on when i read and if i put my camera down my camera my phone down and i say the phrase that's messing me up i can say it just fine but then when i bring it back up i just i just turn into a dingus <laughs> it's the weirdest thing it just freezes in your brain yeah just staring at it yeah i don't understand why that happens but yeah, it's a weird kind of speech impediment, nervous thing. I don't know. Hmm. I think maybe your brain is having to do an extra step, right? Because it's having to visually take in the information mm. and then process and then decipher how it's going to do it. Whereas yeah. it's just in your brain already thinking about it. It's just like, oh, mm-hmm. malformed <laughs> monkey nuts. <laughs> you could say that all day. Uh, so we're, yeah, we're in John's basement. Today. We are. I was just gonna say that. Oh, no, sorry, you said it. sorry. You said it. Yeah, I want you walk us through right now where we are. Oh, uh, we're in the dungeon. The dungeon. Yeah. So this this is my hobby room slash recording space slash put all my shit in here. This is John's room in his house. No yeah. girls allowed. No girls allowed. <laughs> um, cats are allowed. But we closed the door, so not today. <laughs> uh, my daughter is allowed in here. Actually, she paints in here too sometimes. But she has her own room next door, as you saw as a giant tornado went through that room. Yes. Little Lego, like, domain, all these things to work with. Yeah. It's a sick little corner. Yeah. And she fills every square inch of that floor with shit. <laughs> There's just stuff everywhere. The rest of the house uh, is all picked up because Scotty was coming over. So my wife gets all paranoid. Yeah. I, um, I walk through like 10% of the house, but you need to clean every square inch of it. Yeah. She's like, I will judge you. <laughs> she's like, are you guys just using the downstairs bathroom? I'm like, probably. <laughs> she's like, okay, then you don't have to super clean all of the bathrooms. <laughs> but you just got to give it a good pass though. <laughs> yeah. Right. I cleaned all the toilets last night. <laughs> Man, I don't know if that's a female thing because my wife does the same thing. Her sister was coming over, and I know for a fact my wife's family has like this weird thing about cleaning, and so Amber didn't want to be shamed by her sister, mm. and so she was just deep cleaning everything. Um, and sure enough, when her sister was over, she walked by the fridge, thought it was too dirty, and she's like, "Where's your stainless steel cleaner?" And she busted it out and cleaned our fridge, and I was just wow. like, "Oh, that's kind of funny." Uh, but yeah, so whenever we have a friend over. You know, we have to go through this this uh, the cleaning routine because, you know, you don't want people to think you, you live in a, you know, a dirty space. Yeah, I get that. And, you know, the, the, the positive thing with that is is when they decide, you know, it needs to all be cleaned. Well, then we just knock it out and it's cleaned and then we don't clean again until somebody comes over. <laughs> <laughs> That's the schedule. You know, there's yeah. no once a week cleaning. It's no. when somebody comes over. The only downside of that is, is if you have, like, friends coming over too often in the eyes of the wife and she's like no you can't have people coming over all the time i don't have time to clean all the time i'm like then just don't clean yeah nobody cares nobody cares are you hopped up on that turbo nas right now yeah dude i'm feeling it mm. Mm, it the looks power is coursing through my veins right now it looks delicious mm. 
All right, we got another jam-packed episode for you today. We do. It might not be as long as the last one because that's going to be hard to beat. I don't know. We, I mean, I think we could do a 24-hour long episode of yeah. just talking crap. Yeah, I think so too. It's in. We have so many things that we want to talk about that we like. Make sure we don't talk about in the week prior, so we can get them all out here. So. Yeah, there are several moments in our Facebook conversation in Messenger where we say, "Wait, let's stop this conversation so we can have it on the podcast." Yes, that happens. <laughs> definitely changed our communication dynamic a little bit. <laughs> yes, that's okay though. I think most times we don't have to go through that. I think most times we just talk and we're like. We sometimes we get halfway through a conversation and we're like, ooh, this is this is kind of good. We should talk about <laughs> this. This has legs. <laughs> yeah. All yeah. right. We're gonna take a brief break because I need to fix this microphone because I feel like the hunchback of Notre Dame right now. Yeah. One sec. All right, and we're back, and now we can sit more comfortably. Yeah, as you can all see, our microphones are slightly taller. Extended. All right, let's get on with it. We got any fun pre podcast stories i guess we're in the podcast right now. <laughs> in the podcast but the beginning of the podcast stories <laughs> yeah all right one of our uh, wonderful patrons sent me a message the other day and it simply was this picture <laughs> and the uh, and for those that are listening that's okay i'll explain it in a second <laughs> and just a question two words this you question mark (laughs) and it was it was a picture of him at a stoplight in his car shooting a picture with his phone through his windshield at the truck in front of him black truck black truck with it wasn't minnesota license plate so you knew it wasn't me yeah yeah but the license plate just said tendy (laughs) (laughs) just singular (laughs) i'm pretty sure i can't now i'm I'm second guessing it if it i can't remember if it said tendy or tendies there's a comedy in it just being singular (laughs) just one a singular tendy (laughs) and it it was spelled correctly i-e t-e-n-d-i-e you think a singular tendy is just it's not a y it's an i-e because tendies obviously is i-e-s right gosh we're gonna have to check the tape on that. Uh, the picture will will show us. Um, and then, of course, I immediately sent it to you. <laughs> and I said, "This is going to the podcast." Yeah, this is going to the podcast. Also, it wasn't a Minnesota license plate, so I might have to get oh, it. Yeah. That means it's available for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think if anybody, I mean, you can always, you know, turn a, a an E into a three if you need to make it work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do some elite speak. Yeah, <laughs> some in your elite. license plate. Yeah, yeah, some elite tendies. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. So you know, we hit five hundred patrons. I'll do it. No, <laughs> no, it's okay. Don't worry about Thou- that. Thousand patrons. I'll thousand do patrons. <laughs> Two thousand. Crap. <laughs> <laughs> no, keep putting the number up. Uh, nah, I'll do it. I'll do it at some point. I just have to convince my wife. So that by the time I can convince her, we'll probably have more patrons and hit that whatever number that I told her that we were needed to hit and yeah. she'll be okay with it. Yeah. You'd be like, see, we're, we're making money. So I got to do dumb things now. Right. Right. Next I have to do like a full car wrap uh, on, <laughs> on outside of my truck. That is just, <laughs> just, just tenders. Just tenders. <laughs> 
people are like, what the fuck? You need the two-way glass for your uh, for your windows. So that's also attendees. <laughs> you have like attendee vision. Yes. Every time I get pulled over for having the windows tinted with attendees, I have to take a video of it and have the conversation. No, sir, this is just for our podcast. I'm, no disrespect. I, I hope you don't, you know, tase me, but... <laughs> I'm gonna tase you because I got he can't see in the windows. He, he walks up, gun drawn. He can't see in the windows. The window slowly goes down, and I just have a tendy in my hand. Like it's not a weapon, sir. It's just for some, you. Just some blackmail. <laughs> it's for you. The tendy mobile. Right. The center console is just a variety of sauces in the little cups. Like you. The bo- car runs on fucking Chick Fil A sauce. <laughs> Oh man, I'll get so many sponsors. Be like, everyone would be fighting in town. Like, who gets the who gets to put their logo on the side of the be, truck? You'd be renowned, yeah, in Minnesota for having Tendi Mobile. The Tendi truck is coming to town. <laughs> yeah, uh, but All then right. little kids would be mad that there's no like Tendies, like the ice cream truck. <laughs> what, what would your ice cream truck song be? Um, we're from Minnesota, so probably roll out the barrel. Roll out the barrel. Don't know that one. Roll out the barrel. Okay, yeah. Roll out. <laughs> is that does that have some kind of ties to Minnesota? It's uh, it's either a Norwegian or a German oh, thing. Okay, okay, yeah. A lot of Norwegian, just Scandinavian people in of that kind of descent in Minnesota. Yeah, they played a lot at the at Packer games at Lambeau Field too because mm. they have a similar demographic we have exciting news for us yeah it's not, <laughs> not for anyone else uh yeah though so john put out into the universe the idea of a faux con uh where we'd have sam come over mm-hmm. and just hang out two or three days with us on, over a weekend uh as a replacement for not being able to go to any conventions this year mm-hmm. uh and vince heard about that and he was like i want in and yeah, so he- then i corresponded with the wife and she was like just pick a weekend. I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> really? That's bad. She is the winner in all of this. Yeah, big time. She's yeah. bringing the dogs with her too, which Woo! is great. Uh, but yeah, so those two guys are going to come over. We're going to try to be responsible about it in two weeks prior to the event. Uh, be more strict about how we separate ourselves from other people just so that we don't do any coronavirus transferring. Right. And we had this conversation and the good thing is all four of us are like, yeah, we don't go anywhere anyway. Yeah. But we're like, okay, for those two weeks prior, we're going to make sure, you know, you can get your groceries delivered or you can go do the curbside pickup or whatever. Like, it's, you know, we're responsible. Yeah. It's America. So in America, coronavirus is still a thing. Lucky you, rest of the world. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're we're excited for that. Yeah, big time. Vincey V... Samson Lens and us. Samson Lubes, whatever his last name is, dude. No. Lenses. Lenses. Don't, dude. If you say that that weekend, you say lenses. He's gonna lose. He's gonna shit. Dude. He's gonna punch you in the ballsack. <laughs> Just straight. <"Dah!" laughs> You're like, all right. He's like, this is for all the people that have said lenses over the years. I'm taking it all out in one punch. <laughs> one punch, man, right in your scrotum. <laughs> I know we said we weren't going to do any videos, but I don't know if it's possible to to not do a videos with uh, I, that cast and crew there. So I have really? an idea for a video that's going to be easy to do. Uh, I would love to do a miniature painting trivia video. Where oh. I have this whole list of trivia ideas that I want to ask you three guys, and you accumulate points over the round and see who is the most 
knowledgeable about miniature painting, its history, and the companies involved. I have a feeling Vince is going to crush you two. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm betting on him. I'm I would c- like to go head-to-head with Vince. So if someone wants to make questions, oh, man. I, would, I would love to do that. Dude, I have a... I've got a whole costume for <laughs> for uh, an interviewer, mini painting interviewer. I could maybe bring the costume. Is it inflatable? It's not inflatable. Remember, it was just for a different video idea we had. Okay. That I had the full costume is for Between Two Sprues. Is it a police suit? No, it's not a police suit. Is it Gandalf the Gray? It's Gandalf the White. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so close. So, yeah. Um, maybe. Okay. How about this? Look, we're just doing, <laughs> instead of us actually working professionally, we're just using our podcast time to discuss this. <laughs> All right. So we have a first round, which is the three of us. And then the winner faces you in ultra death match. Well, that just makes it seem like I deserved to be there and I got to buy. Um, yeah. Well, it's your channel. So yeah, no, <laughs> I'm the, I'm the, what's the word? The Dark Lord. I'm the Raid Boss. <laughs> I'm the Raid the Dark boss. Lord. Uh, yeah, Vince V is probably going to crush. Although Sam has got a whole wealth of knowledge in that yeah. hair. Yeah, I guess it depends on what kind of questions they're going to be. But I, I, I want to do a nice smattering of different things: some GW questions, some historical questions, some painting-focused ones, some like you know other company-focused ones. I'm going to go all over the board. So the painting ones I could do. Just about everything else, wow. I'm a host. Maybe I, sh- maybe it should be the three of you, because I can certainly step down as my heir to the throne, <laughs> knowing fully well that I didn't stand a chance to begin with, <laughs> like Joffrey. Um, Game of Thrones reference. Hey, I get it. All right, good, because you watched the show, didn't read the books. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> yeah. I watched season one and I was like, meh. You watched season one? I watched season one, and I was like, meh. Oh, so you, ha- you haven't watched the rest of the show? No. Uh, all right. Full, we're going to get ripped up for this, too. I can't watch that show, either. I was like, yeah. meh. It's not terrible, but it's a fantasy drama, and I was kind of expecting it to be basically Lord of the Rings in show form, and it's not that. It's not. It's not epic adventure. It's, it's definitely a soap opera in the fantasy world. It, it is. It is absolutely days of our lives with swords and dragons. Yeah, and some violence. Some cool, it, there's, there's definitely cool things in it. Yeah, because it's HBO, so they can show chopping off head, heads and boobies. So yes. what are we going to do every episode? Chop off heads. Show a, some boobies. B, both. <laughs> right? <laughs> C, profit. That's it. That's it. And I'm going to go back. I'm telling myself I want to go back and I will watch the whole thing because I did enjoy the books for the most part. But anyway, this is not at all about what we're... <laughs> right, yeah. Okay, so we got our, we got our answer. Uh, you three, but then we got to figure out the questions and you can't know the questions correct yeah you would need to do some, some research. i would have to do some research I, I trust you being able to come up with good questions maybe maybe we do a jeopardy style oh, and there's different categories that would be sick if you could set that up that'd be sick all right we just need to come up with our, what our categories are five categories games workshop painting painting art Mm, I don't know. We'll do it later. We'll Not do it in the later. Of the podcast episode. All right, moving on to what we painted. No, there's one more thing. Okay. <laughs> just pull that out. Joe just pulled out a candy bar. This is a lion bar uh, that I procured from a local establishment. 
And uh, we talked about Lion Bars last episode yeah. about how they are the one of the greatest things that the people of England have brought to us in America. I mean, they brought us okay. to America. I mean, we brought ourselves. Scott. <laughs> okay, <laughs> they didn't. They didn't want us to go. <laughs> um, and so we're gonna we're gonna dink it and sink it right now. Hell yeah! All right. So like. Every good American, I keep my candy bars in the fridge. Okay. Um, I'm sure our audio listeners are appreciating you talking while opening this package. This ASMR candy bar. All right. We're going to eat this, and then we're going to come back to tell you our deliberation. All right. We're going to dink it on camera first. Dink it. Boop. Okay. We're back. We have fully experienced the lion bar, and what we've all been waiting for is your response. It's a good candy bar. I'd eat it, hundred percent. Okay, there is so much going on, but not in a bad way. Right? Yeah, there's like Kit Kat in the middle kind of thing, mm -hmm. which is like what you call it, like wafers and chocolate in between. Mm -hmm. You got the caramel on the outside, and you got the crispy uh, rice puff exterior with chocolate coating. So it's like there's a lot of things going on. It's a lot of fun textures, ooey gooey, crispy, crunchy, all kinds of stuff. I prefer Snickers. Sorry, England. <laughs> All <laughs> right. Sorry. You're, I'm with you there. Snickers still, it, it has my heart. Yeah. <laughs> it it might be because I just eat, I've eaten more Snickers. Yes. It could be that. There, there's this nostalgia factor. Sure. Yeah. Right. Um, this candy bar, I said in the last one, it was if a Rolo um, made sweet love to a Kit Kat. Yes. And I was wrong. It was if a 100 grand, grand bar. Yes. Uh, made love to a Rolo, <laughs> not a toi, <laughs> the Rolo and the Kit Kat. Where does the Rolo fit? <laughs> Just get him in the middle. <laughs> um, and yeah, I it's like the first time, the best thing that I had, best experience I had with the Lion Bars, I had no idea what it was. And I just tried it and I'm like, holy shit, there's a Kit Kat in this candy yeah, bar. Yeah. And so it's so good. <laughs> This, again, has nothing to do with podcast or miniature painting. Side note, one of our patrons, Stu, the, Stu. Great, the great Stu Harris, uh, who lives across the pond, reached out and said, you guys don't even know the depths of the English ocean when it comes to candy bars. Dude gave us like an essay about yes. candy bars, and, and it was amazing. A uh, full description, like he was writing, he was like writing marketing pieces for <laughs> for these. It reminded me of Jeremy when he came over, Black Magic Craft. He uh -huh. has a passion for snacks, um, and his knowledge about snacks is insane. Like you'd never know, because he doesn't talk about it at all in his videos, uh, but he, was, he, he sent over a box of snacks prematurely when he visited, then came over on the first night, we cracked it open, and he just, he just gave us all the trivia as we were eating it about them. Mm. It reminded me of that. Ooh, that's, that's right. He, I mean, I, I wasn't there for that conversation, but then when I came over and he started talking about chips, I'm like, oh Jesus, this guy is this guy's this guy snacks. He he is serious. You know who else snacks? And this is something I didn't put on our um <laughs> I didn't put on our, our script for today, but this is something we should talk about. Uh I found out that a great connoisseur of candy snacks is one Heath from the murder basement. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, I learned this about him. Mm -hmm. 
And so he said, I didn't realize that you were a candy fanatic. I'm a candy fanatic. And then he went on to tell me a story about the previous night he fell asleep from overdosing on gummy bears while, while watching TV because of the sugar rush. And then it crashed him and he fell asleep on the couch. So this dude loves his candy. <laughs> um, I've never got the whole sugar crash thing. I don't uh, either. I don't, I've never felt the whole energy high thing either from eating sugar. Maybe it's there. Maybe it's just subtle. Maybe I just consume so much sugar that <laughs> you don't know. Yeah, like we say that, and before this episode, I eat a fucking donut and drink a nos because <laughs> I didn't sleep well last night. Anyways, uh, so let's talk about Heath in the bur- murder basement. Yes, uh, John and I both have done separate interviews on this channel called Hobby in the Murder Basement. Hobby time Hobby in, time the, time murder in the murder basement. basement. Um, I had a good interview. Uh, we got into some. Some deep shit. And yeah, I think he did the same for you. Yeah, uh, your 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 title was called "Getting Your Hands Dirty." Yeah, yeah, because we actually murdered someone. Oh boy. Oh, so like the actual dismemberment process. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's not a clean thing. The name works. You're right. <laughs> yeah, you know there is an art to separating the bone from tendon at the joint. I'll tell you that. This is a hunter thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I was. I told you. I'm like, dude, you need to chat with Heath because he um, he's a listener and follower of the podcast. He's a streamer. He's got his YouTube channel. And uh, I've watched a couple of his interviews and they're not like other mini painting interviews. Sure. They're not scripted on a certain set of questions you ask every person. They're not really shallow dives into a lot of common topics what's your favorite color <laughs> okay kermit <laughs> well, i didn't know kermit was into mini painting but he's into a lot of things though um so heath is just like he's he's a really good listener and he's a really good talker so it's just like it's really relaxed and wherever you go he's going there with you and i had a ton of fun sounds like you had a ton of fun i know our buddies uh, Sam Lenz, Vincey V have both been in the murder basement. Nice. Not together, I don't think. They made it out alive. Yeah, because you can't have uh, you know too many accomplices because someone's going to talk. Yeah. And and Heath knows how to keep his mouth shut. And the more this web grows, the greater the liability. Right. <sighs> yes. But yeah, I wanted to say if you are like a person who's like an interviewer and you've reached out to me in the past uh, and I haven't said anything back, or same with John, the reason why I'm kind of apathetic or apprehensive to do interviews is because I've done maybe like a few now, and oftentimes they ask the same questions over and over again, and I feel like they just don't offer any value into the world if I just keep answering the same questions, like what's your hobby background and things like that. Um, So if you want to do an interview, and this is true of doing an interview for anyone, you should watch every single piece of content on that person mm-hmm. and read every single piece of content on that person that you can find on the internet and then develop questions. And that's how you make for a really good interview. That's what I did for the Roman Lapot video. I like bought magazines and watched videos and everything so I could have a cool set of questions. And it makes for a more meaningful conversation as well. I'm not talking because I think I have to fart. Oh, yeah. Crank it up. Oh, did you just shit yourself? Survey says we're good for now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is right. that video with Roman? Has that gone out yet? I feel like I, yeah, dude. Okay, I a long have, time ago. Must have missed that one, uh, dude. If you, I think it, I'm really proud of that video, it didn't do very well. It was called it's called the YouTuber Bubble. Um, sorry, sorry, microphone. Uh, but yeah, I really like that video. Hmm. Uh, but I, yeah, I watch every video. That's weird. Okay, 
It I'm, still amazes me that you watch every video. I just assume you don't. I need to have a constant supply of ammunition to make fun of you with. Okay, okay. Yeah, so yeah. I take a notepad and I go, <laughs> and I write stuff down. Um, anyways, moving on to what we painted, because we need to get this thing going. <laughs> what, what did you paint, Scott? I painted two things this past uh, two weeks. I worked on four new bases for my basing series. Gamer Grass, the company reached out to me to do a sponsored video, and I was like, hell yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Gamer Grass. I use their stuff. And getting to do sponsored content with companies that I actually like the product of is just super natural. That isn't to say that I do sponsored videos ever for a product that I don't like, but sometimes it's a product that I just don't know yeah. or, or wouldn't use otherwise because I'm kind of just like, eh, about it. For instance, like the Gamergrass handle. There is nothing wrong with that handle that I could find when using it. I just wouldn't personally use it. Double-sided tape and a piece of wood works just fine for me. Mm-hmm. Um, things like that. But Gamergrass, use tufts all the time. They're great. Uh, and so that was a lot of fun. I got to make four new bases. I uh, polled my community about which ones to make. And uh, they picked a few. So that was a lot of fun. A lot of interaction there. And I also did another episode of Evy Metal Marines, which by the time this podcast airs, the episode would have came out last Friday, uh, the Friday prior. So that's a new one. That's episode number nine done, which means one more left. That's You You committed that 10 was going to be the cap that yeah. you'll ever do for the rest of your life? Yeah, because some guy bought me, in the beginning, bought me a box of 10 tactical marines and was like, hey, it'd be a cool idea if you just demonstrated how to paint 10 different chapters. And I was like, at this point I had like 500 subs. And I was like, someone bought me models? Whoa! <laughs> um, so it was super cool. I was super enthusiastic about it. So I committed to 10 chapters. Little did I know it took me five years to do all Man. 10. But yeah, so I painted Hawk Lords, a.k.a. Minnesota Vikings. <laughs> a.k.a. Hawkeye from the Avengers. <laughs> Hawkeye is purple and yellow? I know he's purple. Okay. But yeah, so they're purple and yellow. Not a scheme that I would go for normally. I don't like schemes with like too strong, evident colors. It just seems a little kind of like hokey to me. So this is an actual chapter? It's an actual chapter. Hawk Lords is a successor chapter to the Ultramarines. Oh. Um, which is a... I don't know. There's a lot of like weird like family tree bastardization <laughs> going on with Space Marine chapters. I don't know what the deal is, but they're all about aerial maneuvering and stuff like that. So did you paint one that had a jump pack on? No. Okay, that would be too obvious. Why would I do that? <laughs> I painted a Blade Guard veteran from the Indomitus box set. So this dude sent you 10 tactical Marines and you didn't even paint one of them. I painted two of them. <laughs> the, 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 the ultramarine was from that box and the salamander the first two episodes are both from that box but we got primary space marines i'm not gonna paint no weird proportion space marines oh they were at, they were tactical marines as in five not years ago bro. oh geez yikes yeah. on bikes yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't yeah you're right and then you did like death guard you what are you gonna do death there? guard black legion yeah fun things like that that's very cool that's very cool sisters of battle because that's a space marine too don't taste me in the comments section. Okay. <laughs> you counted that one as one of the 10. You're like, this counts as one of the 10. Yeah, absolutely. It's a female space marine. I don't know. Speaking of, I, I got a thing for Sisters of Battle. I like them a lot, but I just feel weird liking them because it's like, oh, you're just a, you're just a gamer boy who likes the female with boobs yeah, and stuff. So yeah. I, I just don't go for it. But I've always liked them for a long time. But that's a, I wish, that's a dark secret. I wish... 
some of their big models, their new models that are big, weren't so, so freaking ridiculous. <laughs> the freaking floating, like weird tiny tank thing, yes. or whatever the hell it is. It doesn't even look like a tank. It looks like a, it, it looks, looks like a battering like, ram. Well, it looks like they they took the altar out of the front of a cath <laughs> like the at the top of the Catholic church, and they just like cut it out and like added some shit around it and like made it float. I'm like, what the hell is this? This looks so stupid. And like the ideas of the flag, like the, <clears throat> sorry, the flagellant dudes inside the mech things. Oh, the, oh, the penitent engine. Yeah. It's a, it's such a cool idea that looks so bad. The old model looks really cool. I don't oh, know if you've seen it. I don't think I have. The new one to me is a sidestep. I don't think it got any worse or got any better. So maybe that means you wouldn't like the old one. Mm. I think where they could have improved was a really dynamic pose of the robot. Yeah. Like it's in full sprint. Right. Um, that would be cool. But I don't love or hate the new one. What? Why don't you like it? I mean, it does. The pose is really kind of like wonky, like white person jogging motion. motion okay, okay. Which is not anything that we should all strive for. <laughs> And the the dude is just kind of like out there like a like a hangy little floppy corpse and the robot thing itself isn't intimidating. Like it's just the way that it's built is just looks kind of wonky and like threw together from a scrap heap and not yeah. intimidating. Yeah. Meanwhile, you got like that new um that new orc from the box. That's in in a big kind of mech suit kind of thing. And yes. that dude is mean as fuck. Gazcore Thraka. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're like that and you're like floppy white dude in a, in a robot from the garbage heap. It looks like <laughs> Walmart robot, really. <laughs> and it's like, man, oh man, this is not equal. This is not equal. Even like the new Primaris, um, what are the robots called where they have the, the coffin in it? Dreadnought? Yeah. Or the, the new Primaris Dreadnought? The new Primaris Dreadnought. I don't know what that one's called. That's whatever it's called. That one looks badass. Okay. And then this thing this is like, wow. I mean, yeah, you don't you don't go to Walmart because you want to. Because <laughs> it's the only thing open. That's why you go. So it's like, well, I guess we're going to go to their lawn and garden section and pull together a robot. <laughs> so, yeah, I painted... Uh, a hawk lord and some bases. I think the hawk lord is probably one of the cleaner ones I've done. Mm -hmm. uh, he's up there with the blood angel. The blood angel was, had a had a really nice result with that one, so he looks pretty clean. I actually redid the head. All right, I did the head, and I didn't airbrush it enough so that uh, you know how like when you have like a white undercoat and you prime and you airbrush something on and you don't put on enough coats and then you go to fix it with the same color and it's like whoa, is the difference between my airbrush paint mm -hmm. and my paintbrush paint? So that happened to me, and then I applied Flash Gets Yellow, shit paint, mm. uh, with a paintbrush, and then I fucked it up and got texture all over it. So oh, I, no. So I stripped it and redid it. Um, you actually stripped it. I suppose if you had texture on it. Yeah. It was, I would have just grabbed a different head. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the Blagar veterans have specific heads. Oh. Like uh, one of the heads has part of the, uh, what's the ne what's neck armor called? Not koi for, not a garrot. It's something, something with a G. Uh, I can't remember what it is, but he had part of that armor built into his neck. So it's, I couldn't, I can't, they weren't interchangeable. Ooh. Um, but yeah, the model's cool. I really dig it. I love those big shields. I know they're really cool. They're really I, cool. I like the whole knight motif. Yeah. But a big part of me is like, dude, you're a badass knight with a big shield and a sword. 
in a world where everyone's shooting freaking plasma guns. Yeah, but they're like sci-fi shields. <laughs> oh, okay. I sci- take it all back. It's a sci-fi sword. It's a power sword, okay? Right. It's like he's like, like a power Jedi. shoot you from a mile away. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you got transports for. Okay? Oh. They're hawk lords. They're going to swoop down and be like, just slay people. Yeah. <laughs> Drop down with their shield right in front of you. And then just stab. All right. Yeah, I get not, this. Not role playing. <laughs> <laughs> Lightning bolt. Lightning bolt. Speaking of Hawklers, I meant to make a mention of it in the video, but I didn't. But my, my uh, C-League volleyball team's name is Bird People. <laughs> what? <laughs> Whenever we do something cool, we make bird sounds. <laughs> it's the stupidest shit ever. Uh, but yeah, I got a thing for birds. Well, I guess. <laughs> I guess Hawk Lords are... I mean, I think it's a really cool colors. It stand out. I'm, you I'm don't th- think of Vikings whenever you see it? I didn't. I didn't, but now I will. Yeah, it's like when you look at red and green, it's like, okay, cool Christmas marine guy. Yeah, that's true. I think it depends on what colors of purple and yellow you use too. Yes. Because you can use a much more desaturated yellow and it wouldn't feel that way. Absolutely. Yeah, because the Vikings really are like a really bold... like. Caution tape yellow. Yeah, caution tape yellow and really kind of bold purple. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. What do you think? Um, short answer is not much. Uh, this is probably since we've started the podcast, the two weeks where I've painted the least. And I honestly scrambled to paint something to say that I painted something for the for podcast. Shame. For shame. For shame is right. What are you doing with your time? Um, editing a video because mm. everything takes me way more hours than it should. And I'm kind of busy at work again, too. But um, yes, mostly editing a video. But uh, I, I found this, this 3D model called the Boar God. And I found it on a Kingdom Death Facebook group. Someone had linked the free Thingiverse file for it. And so I checked it out because it looks bananas it's scary as shit looking it looks like one of the it's kind of it's kind of modeled after one of the boars from princess mononoke at least that's what it reminds me of okay i don't know if you've ever seen that that's one of the ones i haven't seen okay it's amazing but anyway and it's 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 very much in the style of kingdom death minis it even has like coming out of its fur and its haunches it has the little faces the stone faces which are a common theme all throughout kingdom death and actually like coming out of its exposed zombie rib cage are human hands that are like keeping the ribs in place. <laughs> it's messed up. <laughs> I, I looked at it because I'm like, Holy crap, this thing, the sculptor, the dude that sculpted this is legit. Like he's got skills. This thing could be released next week by kingdom death and it would hold up to the quality of their monsters. Mm. It's amazing. So, uh, free file, which we'll link below. So if you want to check it out and, and print it for free. Cool. I had my friend that has an El Gumars print this guy out for me. Cool. And it was big. I mean, it's pretty big. And so that was fun to get all the supports off of. That took me like two hours to like try to mm. nip the supports. I ended up just like cracking it and pulling it. And in most part, it worked. I didn't break anything off. Okay. Um, it's still got a fair amount of those burrs. Yeah. You the, know, the technique is one, having the right support connection point in the first place, but also before fully curing it in like in the sun or on a UV curing station, if you heat it under warm water, 
supposedly they split off very easily. Hmm. So post pre curing, pre post curing, warm water pop off. Got it. Okay, that's good to Not know. That you have a three D printer or well, <laughs> deal with that. He, he lives like like a two minute drive that way. So <laughs> okay. okay. He, he if I ask him to print stuff, he prints it for me. So, um, so I I actually got. The I mean the burrs are still a thing though even if it comes off the sprue right the the burrs are still a thing there's those like kind of little bumps out where they connect and because it's a big model it's got a lot of them um, I went through and was like painstakingly taking my razor and just trying to snip them as much as I could okay but the resin one that I use is kind of a semi transparent red mm. and so it was very hard to see yeah the the, the texture. Um, and then I ended up going through with like sandpaper to it almost with a really high grit sandpaper to it almost kind of buffed it and added a little haze to that portion. And then I could see better and oh. get most of them off. And that helped. Um, after I primed the thing, I found that it is, it is a lot easier to deal with those slight imperfections on a bigger model or and or a model that's got a lot of things going on. This thing's got a ton of texture and fur and gore and and it's got different kinds of fungus growing all over this thing. Yeah. And so you you kind of lose uh, a lot of that those those tiny imperfections because it just feels like it's part of the nasty beast. Yeah. Um so I base coated the whole thing in acrylics. Each section I just did in kind of what I would call its mid-tone color for that section. Um, and now I'm going to go in with it with oils is the next step. Okay. And so I'm going to oil paint this big guy and maybe come back at the end and do some more acrylics. Are you recording this process? No. Okay. I haven't How yet. many videos have you recorded that you haven't edited? Like five. Is your hard drive getting full? Oh, you have like a big old chonky four terabyte mechanical drive, right? I have eight. Okay, yeah, no, you're fine. Yeah. It's technically sixteen mirrored. Jeez. <laughs> well, no, it's eight eight terabytes mirrored. You have two eight terabyte drives. Yes. It's to, yeah, total sixteen. Okay, cool. All right. Very cool. Yes. So it's base coats and next steps is the fun stuff. The so. fun stuff. All right. That's what I painted. All right. That's what we painted. Before getting on to the topic today, we have a sponsor, and it's this little model sitting right here from a company called Dark Future Creations. Created by miniature painters for miniature painters, Dark Future Creations strives to create a new world where cyberpunk meets fantasy. The first line of miniatures is called Cybersplit, and it consists of three miniatures, and it's debuting on Kickstarter this month, link in the description, in August 2020. And each miniature has a fleshed out backstory, which I really like uh, being a one who is trying to create a miniature range right now. It gives your line more cohesion. If there's something that kind of combines everything together, kind of one aesthetic. So I can appreciate that from Dark Future Creations. All right, each of the miniatures has a ton of extra bits. Yes, I was assembling these models earlier and it came with three extra heads, multiple arms. I was a little confused, but I was amazed by the number of options to assemble this 75 mil model. Yeah, so different heads, different weapons, even different 
poses. Yes. So your miniature could look completely different in a different pose from somebody else. Yeah. Um, they also come in a variety of different scales. So you can get 32 mil size, 54 mil size, 70 mil size, and big gulp size. There's no, there's no big gulp size. There's no big gulp size. So whether you want to paint this for a gaming piece as a proxy in your army, or you want to have a larger scale piece to paint as a display piece, they got you covered. You're going to want to keep your eyes peeled on their Instagram, which is also linked in the description, showing off amazing box arts of their miniatures painted by people like Angel Geraldes, we everyone knows that guy, and an up-and-coming painter named Matt Carnival, and other painters that are asked to share their renditions of the miniatures all over social media. A big thank you to Dark Future Creations for supporting Trapped Under Plastic and offering some cool info for all our sprues and spruettes. Reminder, all the information on the Kickstarter is below. All right. That does it for our sponsored bit. Let's get into the topic for today, which is three pitfalls from each of us, so six total, that beginner miniature painters make. And I asked John to think of his top three, and so we'll start at the weakest one, and then will escalate in the episode. Okay. And I don't know about you, but I'm feeling 22. No. Um, <laughs> Swift reference right there. Yikes. Okay. Uh, uh, I uh, I tried to avoid the ones everyone knows about. Sure. Like if you go on r slash mini painting, the subreddit, and you, mm -hmm. just, you just produce maybe like six or so posts, you'll see what I'm talking about. Contrast, then your paints. Like that's like the only feedback people know how to give. Right. To the point where it's like, do you actually have any valuable feedback other than that? But anyway, so I avoided those ones so we can get something a little bit more interesting. Sure. Um, I don't know what approach you took. I don't either. Well, you, gonna, you, <laughs> you don't know either. I, I took an approach of the things that I wish I would have had written on a stone tablet in front of me when I first started. Okay, that's cool. All right, well, I'll get us fired off here. You go. I think people in the hobby and also people just in general need a healthy dose of skepticism. Um, there are a lot of times where I did things... Uh, to achieve an effect that were needless or to avoid a negative outcome that would never have came. Mm. Everyone knows out there I'm a big fan of myth busting. Mm. Um, but this goes a lot farther than specific things like you can't prime when it's humid outside um, or you can't prime when it's cold outside and stuff like that. This goes into all kinds of just tiny little interactions that you have while making decisions while painting. Mm -hmm. Things like... Um, Oh, I don't know. You can't highlight red by mixing in white and having like a pink highlight and stuff like that. You totally can. You just need to not have so much pink that it reads as pink. Yeah. Um, there are plenty of great examples of that. So whenever someone tells you anything about anything, obviously you want to be respectful and listen to them and, you know, have a, a conversation. But also you want to go home and test for yourself whether or not that actually makes a difference. Um and in doing so, doing this kind of experimentation allows you to figure things out for yourself. It gives you, self, gives you confidence when you're having conversations with others. It allows you to paint in efficient ways and not waste time doing needless stuff. I, I like that. I like that because I think a lot of times some of these helpful tips or rules or well, however they're classified are just gone through a game of telephone without yeah. without folks actually putting in their own personal experience. Yes. 
And that's why things just get repeated so much. Yeah. And there is some value, right? There is some value in absorbing and listening to what others have, who have come before you have Absolutely, learned about. Absolutely, yes. There is value there. But like everything, you know, in life, take everything with a grain of salt because your mileage may vary. Yeah. I mean, even videos like mine that seem to like do a test and then show something off. Maybe I'm testing in an environment that's not similar to yours, so it might be different. Um, I'm not saying you need to have a a dissertation or a research paper to prove a point on something, but you know, just uh, your mileage may vary is a, is a summary of that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, but you know, we as humans, it, when we're given so, when there's so many variables and so many options in something, it's overwhelming. So if we can find that in one segment or one decision-making process, there is a black and white, there is a right and wrong. There is mm. a better and worse. Right. And yeah. so if, you know, if I can be told that this is the way to do it, it's just simply better, then that's one thing I don't have to question. Yeah. You know? It's nice to have some certainties in the process, um, for sure. Right. Um, that kind of leads into what my first one is, um, which is don't wait for all the answers before you act. Oh, yeah. Amen. Um, Preach! <laughs> Um, I, this is something I was so very guilty of at the beginning, and I even find myself oftentimes today doing this. I feel like I need to have all the answers, have everything figured out before the paint hits the model. Mm -hmm. That's my cat. <laughs> There's a little paw knocking to come in. <laughs> and he goes, meow. <laughs> all right, I'm going to let him in. Otherwise, he's going to do this for the next hour. <laughs> all right, sorry for that interruption. Dobby has joined us in the studio and he's going to get into trouble and f try to fit into all the boxes in the room. <laughs> Not that there's many boxes, but he'll find them. <laughs> um, so what I was talking about was, what was I talking about? Oh, not having all the answers before you begin. Needing to know every color I'm going to use through this whole, this whole process. Needing to know that I've got the exact right paintbrush and... I have everything in front of me and set up before I even begin painting. Mm -hmm. That's the wrong way to do it. And here's why it's wrong. It's wrong because you spend too much time, effort, and energy on that, and you spend less focus, effort, and energy on the actual painting. If you just painted and you'd learn, like what we just talked about with yours, you you draw your own conclusions, and you'd realize that that fun aspect of working your way through a pro project is a is a good thing and it shouldn't be a stressful thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a classic gear acquisition syndrome that plagues so many hobbies where it's just like, I need the perfect kit. I think I may have said this before in a previous episode, but there was a point in my videography career where I wasn't doing YouTube, but I wanted to do it professionally for like corporations and stuff, where I had a list of equipment that was on my wish list that I would update when I found new things. And it was Ooh. like every single piece of Cinegear, like a lens set, like like rigging and all these things. I was like, okay, this is this is the dream camera setup. And it was just, it was ridiculous. Um, just make stuff with what you have now. Uh, it, it just feels so much better to be able to speak from authority instead of just regurgitating what people say on the internet. Yes. Yep. And I mean, one, one thing that really kind of resonated with me um, and I didn't kind of come to realize this or learn about this for, for years after starting painting is that even the best painters in the world, 
they don't have it all figured out before they start painting the model. Yeah, yeah, absolutely not. I just assumed that these people that have been doing it for years and years and are so amazing and their final products are so great, like they knew before paint hit brush exactly what they wanted to do. Yeah. And if we can understand that the greatest don't do it that way, that's not the creation of art. That's not learning to improvise and seeing what works and what doesn't work on the fly. That should be something you embrace and not be fearful of. Right. Yeah. It's just this feeling that everything that they produce is amazing but you didn't see the things that were painting 10 years ago, five years ago, mm-hmm. um, all the mistakes they were making. Virtually everything I paint has a mistake on it that I, or multiple mistakes that I've learned lessons from. Mm-hmm. And five years from now, no one's gonna know those old things that I painted and you're only gonna see the new things that I'm painting. People may think, oh man, all these things John are painting are amazing. It's like, you didn't see all the test models that I painted yeah. and all that stuff. Or even in that specific model, you didn't see how I was working on the skin tone and I had a totally different direction of what I wanted to do with the armor. And after seeing them, how they interacted, I adapted and I changed my process or I changed what, what coloration or, or how much contrast a certain fabric had or whatever. I changed that because it's what I'd felt more aesthetically pleasing or a direction that excited me. And if I so worried about getting all that stuff figured out before I start, I'm just not going to start. Yeah. You know, or when I do start, it was like a week and a half later than when I wanted to, because I put all these barriers up in front of myself to just begin. Mm -hmm. So just paint, just paint. That's a good one. That's a good one. All right. Number two for me, understanding the value of the translucency of acrylic paint as it relates to layering. So my impression as a youngster was that every single layer of paint that I put onto a miniature had to be fully opaque no matter what I was doing with it. And that the translucency of acrylic paint is always a con and never a pro. And what I realized later in the game was that you can use the translucency of acrylic paint to your advantage to build up a transition without even changing your color. Um, I was just painting that uh, Hawk Lord blade guard veteran um, and I was painting the cloth draped on his waist. And mm-hmm. I base coated his Zandri dust, and then I did a one-to-one mixture of Zandri dust and Screaming Skull, which is kind of like more of a brighter off-white yellow. Um, and I highlighted it, and I highlighted it probably three times, not even changing the color. And I developed a transition because I was able to apply it in one layer with uh, kind of like a, a half opacity, and then a second time with like a I don't know 80% opacity, then a final time with 100% opacity, and so I developed a transition without even uh, changing colors at all. So taking a downside or an apparent downside of acrylic paint and making it work for you was a huge thing, and it, it made layering, which is like a I'd call it a non-active blending, whereas mm. like active blending is like glazing or wet blending. Um, that gets you wonderful results without needing to deal with the mechanics of loaded brush blending or two brush blending or any of that stuff. I, th- I think at the core of, of what this tip for you really resonates with me anyway, is that learning how best to use the tools given to you. Sure. And, and acrylic paint is a tool. Yes. So understanding how it works. And here's a great example of how the properties of that paint works that they're hard to see with the naked eye, even as you're painting, because this color, after putting one opaque layer on it, it kind of felt like, oh, it it did what I thought it was going to do. 
But if I thinned it down some and then I put it on there, when I first put the paint on the model and the one, the opaque one is wet and the more translucent one is wet, they don't look that different. So then I look at it, I put it on there and then I'm putting paint onto another spot. And meanwhile, that first spot is drying and I'm not seeing the difference. Yeah. And I come back to it. And so I haven't really absorbed how these things are working in a dry state. We often are spend our time focusing on the paint that's wet on the model. Yes, which is often more vibrant and brighter. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And so when we come back to it, we still see that the color has changed, but we don't notice how much it actually has changed from when we first put it on wet. And it is actually closer to that underlying color underneath. Yeah. And so a problem that I, I mean, I still struggle with to this day is understanding with layering how to get that full opacity. How many layers do I, do I put on and, and how, (laughs) and, but if I just put three over the same slightly smaller circle on the bicep, um, it's going to end up being the same as one opaque layer. So three semi-transparent layers should not all be the exact same shape. And so again, it's spending time with your tools and understand how they work. Yeah, this goes back to a, an old thing John said in a video on my channel being, I think it was present in the process because there was an alliteration. Being proactive. Proactive in the process. That is making a decision actively, being aware of its outcome, and then and then remembering the outcome such that you can make a future decision based on that outcome. Um, so yeah, that's an important thing. Uh, sometimes you can just turn the brain off and just paint something with, uh, with the cruise control, and that's totally fine too. But a big thing for improvement is input, uh, outcome, make a decision based on that outcome. Um, so yeah, I thought of a, a weird thing about layering, uh, which was kind of, this, this is not like a, a deep pitfall, but a small one that I have started to realize is hair dryers are actually sometimes the enemy <laughs> uh, to layering and or really painting sometimes in general, even base coating, because the smaller the piece you're painting, the more this is a problem. But so for instance, say I'm painting a space marine helmet and I put on a layer of any color. Let's just say flash gets yellow because <laughs> this is what happened. Um, and you're impatient and you're like, I need to dry this. So you dry it with a hair dryer and then you do it again. And painting a helmet doesn't take very long. They're small, right? Mm-hmm. And so over the course of applying two or three layers, this thing is heating up. The head is actually heating up because it retains heat, right? <laughs> oh no. And then eventually what happens is the thing is kind of slightly warm to the point where the paint is drying faster than it normally would, than you're normally used to and you mess with the paint when you're not supposed to, but you're not aware because the, the object you're painting is mildly warm and you mess it up and you create texture. Oh, so no. patience always wins in the end uh, because the, the model wouldn't stay, it wouldn't warm up. It'd stay at room temp and it would dry as fast as you're expecting. But use a hairdryer with caution and be aware that while plastic isn't the greatest conductor of heat, it still does conduct it a little bit and that does change how fast, especially a thin layer of paint, will dry. Mm. A little minor thing. It's a good one, though. I, I mean, I, I use a freaking heat gun, yeah. too. That's probably going to be worse. Yeah. Well, I'm scared that, like, the heat gun is so powerful that it's kind of taking the, the edge off of some of your details because it's just heating it up. And toward the edge of the detail, that's where the plastic is most thin, right? Mm. It'd be interesting to take... Uh, my heat gun has a temperature control, though. I, oh, that's I, nice. Yeah, I put it almost all the way to the coolest setting. You got a fancy heat gun. Dude, if you put it up to the hottest one, you, 
obliterate a model. Yeah. It's like this thing would just made a resin and would just be like, <laughs> would just be a pile of goo. And it, it like, it hurts. I, when I first was like testing it, I just took like a, a dowel with a mini. I didn't even have primed and I just kind of turned it on or whatever. And it was at like three quarters of the all of way of hot. It hurt my hand Yeah, to, to be near the thing. I was like, okay, uh, turn it way down. Yeah. It still makes noise too. It's like I thought the heat, it the makes heat gun. Noise? The heat gun does make noise while it's It makes on. less noise. It makes a lot less noise. But oh, okay. at, this, at some point, it's like, I don't know if it makes it a better or worse tool. It really drives it faster. Yeah, sure, it drives it, it drives it faster, but I just wanted to be cool. <laughs> and it's in a holster over there, so you can just like pull from the hip. <laughs> yeah, somebody breaks into my house, and I'm down in the hobby room, just crank it up to 11. You know, they come around the door. <laughs> laser gun yeah and they're just like oh that's mildly warm oh, oh i'm kind of we're gonna have a sweat i'm gonna leave we were talking earlier about best non-hobby hobby products yeah hair dryer slash heat gun yeah truly it, truly it's probably is essential for that, me i think we need to do that episode someday but spoiler right. that's one of them yeah i think it's fun all right that was my numero two i'm amping up to the number one what's your number two all right my number two is Manual dexterity is a skill that you will continue to improve at over time. This is like driving a manual car. How fast you shift? <laughs> kind of. Kind of. Um, it's, like, it's like any skill that requires hand-eye coordination, that requires very precise movements. Um, this is something because it happens slowly over time, we don't think about it. You being able to get all of your base coats super clean so the paints touch on each line, but there's no overlap and everything is super precise does not happen right away. And we all start at a different point in our painting journey of what our hand-eye coordination is. Those of us that maybe had been painting or drawing in a 2D fashion for much of our lives or well, played guitar or things like that you have oh. more you have more practice with really commanding your hands and putting things where you want them to be when you want them but that's something that's not talked about and i wish i would have learned about this or really kind of absorbed it when i'd first started because i was frustrated oftentimes i couldn't get things where i wanted them or they didn't turn out how i wanted them to turn out i gave you a, a basic example of base coating where none of your paints are touching, but every part of the model is base coated. That's a basic level. But really what it, where I find it really starts to come in place over time is when you are building up layers or you're building up glazes over multiple different passes over one section of the model, having control of exactly where that paint ends up where you want it to, or exactly how you are creating a tradition transition over multiple layers by slowly building up and pulling it exactly where you want to. That doesn't happen right away. And I think what the, the big takeaway from this lesson is that the more times you are putting paint on a model and you're trying to paying attention of trying to make sure that I get it where I want to, the more you're, you're kind of teaching your hand and your fingers to listen to it exactly what your brain wants it to do. And over time, you get better and you get better. 
but it's never something where you're like, aha, today I painted and I could paint much more, uh, much more detailed and, and do my hand did exactly what I wanted it to do. It does. You never wake up and feel that way. Okay. So because it's a, it's a case of a frog in a pot of boiling water. Well, the water isn't boiling at first. <laughs> it's a pot of cold water. You know, this is when you start painting, you put in the frog. That's you painting. Got it. Okay. You turn the temperature on, uh, on the stove and it, the water slowly heats up. The okay. frog never feels like it's getting, you know, super hot because it's slowly increasing here. You're slowly getting better and you don't realize it. Right. So the takeaway here, if I could summarize is that dexterity or brush control mm-hmm. is a muscle that is to be trained. And yep. it doesn't come right away. It comes over time. Brush control is not something you, we talk about a lot in the hobby. Um, yeah, it's like you have it or you don't have it kind of thing. Yeah, and, and it's it's not a fun topic or really there's a lot of interesting things to talk about with it. And that's why I've, I wanted this in my top three because I think it's really important to, to note that brush control is is a major, major factor in this hobby for obvious reasons. Yes, <laughs> yes. We paint very small things. Yes, yes. With, with brushes that were made to paint, even our regular, most brushes that we use are made to paint things much bigger than this. Yeah. So how do we control that? And that is we get better over time by practicing painting tiny things and painting tiny little scratches and doing tiny little edge highlights and doing tiny little fades on a tiny little eye slit and a tiny little space marine helmet, you know? Keep saying tiny little. <laughs> I got a counter going, no. Right. Uh, it's, it's on the screen, tick, tick. <laughs> um, and, and so, but we don't talk about that. We talk about techniques. We talk about how if you learned how to wet blend, you'd get better at this. Well, no, you'd get better at it if you learned wet blending possibly, but also your brush control could pull off the technique you're trying to do. It doesn't matter what the technique is. If you don't have the brush control down, you're going to struggle with it. I'm not saying don't learn any techniques until your brush (laughs) control is great. That's silly. But just note that brush control is tied to everything. Okay, yeah. so what can we do to get better at brush control? I love that. That's where I wanted to go next. So it's like someone's like, I still have shaky hands. What do I do? Uh, I've noticed that when I have an empty stomach and I drink something like a NOS energy drink <laughs> and then I go to paint, bad shit happens. Yeah. Uh, so avoiding dietary things that you know cause you to have less dexterity is a good thing. Um Another thing is that the more points of contact you have with your arms, the better grip you're going to have. So I think probably one of the ultimate ways to paint a miniature is to have your entire forearms. Sorry, I moved away from the mic. Your entire forearm on the surface with the miniature in your hands and then wearing like a loop or something that can, that allows you to get really close to it. So you can sit with good posture, you can get a close-up view of the miniature, and your entire forearm is supported. Mm-hmm. An alternative to that, which I, which I do now due to my desk height and my chair height, is I put my elbows on my arms and then my mid elbow. Your elbows on your arms. Yep. <laughs> yep. The arms of the chair. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Elbows on the arms of the chair. My mid forearm contacts the, the desk edge. Mm-hmm. And then my hands clasp in the middle. So I have mm-hmm. four points of contact. Elbows, mid forearms. And then, sorry, uh, one more, a five. The hands come together in the middle to form a triangle of power. Uh, so I have a good, stable grip. So n- name of the game points of contact yeah that's 
that's a, a, a major one. When we first start painting, um, we, we kind of go into a whatever form, our body form or shape or whatever, what seems least uncomfortable for us. Mm-hmm. Um, this is true of, of all sorts of things in life. Um, humans want to do the thing that requires the least amount of energy and the least amount of un- uncomfortableness. So when the saber-toothed tiger comes out of the bush, we've got the most energy conserved, and so we can run away and, and live. I mean, that's that's biologically why we do you, things the you way we do. Talk about caveman brain, and yeah, that's because that's what it, I mean. Our brain really, in the large portion of our brain, in the survival section, that's still there, it hasn't changed in ten thousand years. What's so. the name of that? That's like a college course uh, that teaches you about. Anthrop- uh, anthropology. anthropology that's what it is yeah 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 okay yeah i took i took two classes on anthropology and you're college. an expert or so, yeah so basically basically <laughs> i'm an expert okay. hey you know more than me all right so i'm gonna equate this to something outside of mini painting because sometimes i feel like when we just equate it just within the hobby it doesn't resonate as well at least it doesn't for me so when you learn to play guitar the way that it, your hand that is on the frets is most comfortable is what with what's called the thumb hook. Okay. That means your thumb is actually hooked around the back of the neck of the guitar, yeah. and then my fingers are on the front. That is technically incorrect. As you get to more advanced techniques, that is going to harm you. You're not going to be able to pull off stuff with the guitar with that thumb hook. But you do it because it's the comfortable way to hold it. What you're supposed to do, what they teach you uh, from a traditional standpoint, is you have your thumb your thumb and the center back of the neck and just the the thumb tip is touching. And this creates this awkward position with your hands and you you get cramps and you you feel like you have this fucking claw <laughs> <laughs> back to the bird people. Um, and it, it's super uncomfortable when you start, you, you get, you play that way every day for six months and you've built muscles in your hand, this muscle right here in the bottom of your thumb becomes a lot bigger and it, you, it suddenly becomes natural. And now you have full range across the frets with your, my, my pinky's doing that thing again, um, full range across the frets and you can play uh, much better at a higher level. So it raises your ceiling. Now I'm sure people that know guitar can say there are a bunch of amazing guitar players that have a hooked thumb sure they just oh that's what they, the way that they learned and they could adapt hendrix played with the hooked thumb so it, john you're full of it but what i'm trying to say is is that from a technical standpoint the way you first sit if you're when you first start painting um you need to be aware of and go through the uncomfortableness of sitting a certain way not only for for points of contact and having a stable hand but also from a posture standpoint too yeah you know, there's the same reason I, I I remember distinctly when I was 16 years old and I went to this, it's called Dave's Guitar Shop and it's a giant guitar shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin. And it's an amazing guitar place. It's like the size of a Target. I mean, it's not that big, but it feels like it. And there was like, I remember I'm 16 years old. I was buying my second guitar and the guy that was there, um, he wasn't that old. He was probably late 30s, early 40s. And yet he was a salesperson and he was whatever. And I noticed every time he sat down on a stool to show me a different guitar, you know what his back did? It did the opposite of that. He sat down and it was like he had this like groove in his midsection where the guitar sat and he just hunched around it. 
Like he had a permanent hunch in his back. Yikes. And he wasn't even 40 years old because he spent so many hours sat hunched over in this form. And that's not the form you want. So not only are you wanting your arms and forearms on the tables, ideally your wrists touching or you know your pinky always touching your other hand that's holding the model. You want to have a point of contact there. But you also want to practice a, a straight back. Yes. That's going to, I mean, you're going to be uh, burning calories and strengthening your core while you're painting. And eventually it's not going to hurt. You know, it can be a little bit sore at first and we're all kind of guilty yeah. you know, over time. Big time. Especially as you're over the painting table where you're painting um, that you kind of have to lean over to get those forearms on the table. Yeah. Um, that's why at first I put in my hobby space down here. It's all kitchen height counters. And Scott's on that chair and that, that goes up. It's like a, a, a drafting chair. So it can go up quite high. At first I was like, oh my gosh, this is too high. I'm used to painting at a regular size desk and it felt uncomfortable. Then I realized that having a desk that high up for painting was ideal because I could have my hands, my arms are on the table at like this height, like almost shoulder height, not quite that high. And I can keep my head close. I can keep my arms on the desk. And they're not way down here, so I have to hunch over to see things. You know, I was thinking about, you know how drafters' desks have, they're on like an angle? Mm -hmm. Like it's probably like 30 degrees. I don't think it's 45. It's, adju it's adjustable. Adjustable. But yeah. I've always thought that that would be a great thing to use for miniature painting. It'd be kind of unfortunate because you could, there wouldn't be an area really to rest anything. Maybe a palette if like the table had like an edge to it, could kind of like catch the palette. Mm -hmm. But like paint bottles would fall off. But usually they have a center section that's like this wide that comes up and there's spots on either side that don't, don't adjust oh gosh i broke the mini future creations now no um yeah that would be ideal because then you could have uh you could you could rest your forearms on it and it'd be at an angle that is lifting it up toward your face so that you wouldn't need to get over it get you know? down to it um but yeah that's cool uh another note about stability and dexterity is that oftentimes the paintbrush hand whatever it is the pinky finger and the ring finger often want to touch something and so what i do sometimes is i connect them with my other hand yeah. to stabilize it or the the bad thing i do is that they often touch the model yeah um, so there are some miniature painting handles that have like a support structure that kind of like arcs over the thing which is meant for your holding point pointer finger but also you could maybe place your fingers on the miniature holder and stuff like that because these these two fingers really like to be stabilized otherwise it just feels like you're painting with a hand that's floating in midair and that doesn't always feel the greatest um, yeah i think being able really you only need three fingers yeah. to paint i mean i use two I don't yeah know. yes you do i actually i don't know Usually that one is just to kind of to the middle finger is just kind of stabilized. Hey, okay, bud. <laughs> um, but I mean, there's a, this is a whole another topic with with how you hold a brush and the right and wrong way to hold a brush. But there, I see a lot of people with the hook thumb brush approach. It drives me bonkers. Hook but thumb? What's that? They, let me go get a brush. Okay. Uh, Vincey V. Hooked brush hooked thumb brush connoisseur oh christ i mean whatever floats your boat i guess if that works yeah, um, again it's just like the hooked the hooked thumb with uh playing guitar you could be an amazing painter and because people hold up it's how they hold a uh, pencil 
Yeah, even that's weird to, to me. Anyways, yeah. what, it might be like this. What John's doing is he's basically clamping the brush in between a hooked pointer finger and his thumb. He's making a little sandwich with it. Yeah. Um, not holding it like your like your fingers are coming to a point. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, you don't do it with two fingers. You do it with three. Yeah. Take away sure. that middle finger. You can't do it. No, I do this. Yeah, yeah. You said you only use two oh, fingers. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> that's wrong. <laughs> but yeah, definitely do this. And the pinky comes out proper. And sometimes I even touch pinkies. Yes. Um, that's ridiculous, though. Most of just goes on the model. When I'm doing super intense free hands, I oftentimes put finger cots on these two fingers because I'm touching the model. I'm, I'm just like I'm just like down in it. I'm just like holding this whole thing. Um, mm-hmm. People will ask me why do you have the finger condoms on, and that is why. So I lower the the probability that I'm wiping paint off with my my fingers. I've had a fair amount of experience now with big models. So oh with, gosh, yeah. <laughs> with the creature caster models, you know, in a hundred hours or more on each, on two of them at this point. Um, and what I learned is I developed something that I, I never used when I first started painting big models. Oh, my dad's calling me. My dad asked me earlier today how to eBay. So oh. just used wants to buy something on eBay. So oh. I'm, sure, that's, I'm yeah. sure this is a follow-up call on how to eBay part two. <laughs> um, Next podcast topic, how to eBay. How to eBay. Um, so, uh, so anyway, so I got this, these giant models and you, I realized I, I can't hobby holder something no. that big. Yeah. I haven't tried like a giant like prescription pill bottle or like a, a small like jar for like peanut butter or something. Yeah. Fuck that. That is not worth it. Yeah. I just hold the thing with a, you know, a, a glove on. Yeah. But I still don't, I don't wear a glove on this hand. I didn't think of the mini, mini condoms things, but <laughs> I, I do, I end up doing a lot of pinky to pinky. Yes. When I have to paint something big. Yeah. I never even, like, I didn't consciously make that choice of, like, this is how I'm going to choose to do this. Then I found out, actually, when I was painting this dragon about halfway through, I'm like, Jesus, I'm just touching my pinkies together all the time. Because it's just kind of a pivot point. Yep. And then I can get around, still keep both elbows on the table, and still hold the big model and get around and still keep some brush control. Yeah. We spent a lot of time on this one. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, that's fine. I think it's worth talking about. It's a cool thing that you brought up that no one really talks about. This is a good, good point to make. Right. Yeah, on some 75mm models that don't come in, you know, two pieces, say a model's got a cape that runs the entire length of the model, it's it's very awkward to get a blend that goes from top to bottom because you have to, like, move your entire Oh, hand yeah. Because your, 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 your grip can't rotate far enough to go right. all the way down the cape. Uh, yeah, so interesting. Yeah, ideally, you, you want to be able to, with just the wrist... Just the movement of the wrist to move yeah. across the whole surface. But if you actually so have awkward. to like, if you've got to move at the shoulder, <laughs> what are you painting? What are you painting? <laughs> You're painting a fence. <laughs> um, but there are times that I've had to do that too. And it feels terrible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you always want to rotate at the, at the wrist, not at the elbow or the shoulder. Yeah. Which is different for FPS games. For me, I use low sensitivity and go at the at the shoulder. You know, none, <laughs> yeah. of, this, none of this wrist aiming. It's all shoulder aiming. Right. Oh, Anyways. so your your wrist is, is always flat. And always just flat. Yeah, I wore a wrist brace to uh, train my brain to keep it straight. Dude, maybe that's a mini product we come up with. Some kind of a bracing system that that helps you improve. 
yeah, but train you your body. Want, you want the wrist to rotate. Are you talking? You're like a shoulder brace, so you're not <laughs> rotating. Know. You're just like in a cast, just like I, painting, so you can only do this. Dude, we're still in the abstract stages of this product. I don't know what it is yet, but some kind of a a, a thing that that you helps you train proper technique. <laughs> To get better at manual dexterity. Buy the trapped under plastic full body cast. <laughs> so you can try. It's just three rolls of duct tape and some dowels. You have to duct tape them to certain parts of your body. They like come, the, the hands come together with two like pinky troughs. So like you're forced to like do that. Anyways. What if it's this like weird mechanical thing that goes on your hand that has like these things that can come off that you can like rest your hand on? I'm not following right now. Okay. What are you talking about? So like, uh, kind of like Wolverine claws, <laughs> <laughs> but they like, go, it's like a thing that you strap on your wrist or whatever. Strap on. Whoa. It's like a watch band that maybe the band comes up between, between this middle <laughs> finger with some things. Again, yeah. 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 That's the whole point of this joke. <laughs> and, and, and then there's like these things that can come off like these, like look like spider legs. And so when you're holding the mini, this rotating spider leg, instead of it being this thing on the mini holder that rotates around that you can, you can, you know, attach to, it's attached to your hand. So you're free flowing entirely based on what the model needs for you to get support. It it, it lifts and it supports. All right. (laughs) Mini painting bras coming to you soon. I thought for the longest time, for reasons related to videography, uh, about having something clamped to my desk uh, they're called Israeli arms or gobo arms. They're the kind of thing where when you clamp it down, the arm is taut and rigid. But when you unclamp it, it's like kind of like loosey-goosey. Oh. Um, and the top has some kind of ball head on it. So you tighten it down. It's hardcore and rigid. You bring your hands up to it and you paint it. And then when you want to adjust, you untighten it, <laughs> tighten again, and then paint it. I, I don't know if this is the greatest idea because it kind of makes painting more difficult because like you have to freaking untighten and tighten the sure. constantly maybe that might help people who need some kind of stable structure to paint with mm-hmm. i don't know so two things for increasing your brush control one make sure you're working on a stable foundation minimum three points of contact yeah minimum of three yeah ideally it's forearms on the table yeah and like tables matter too it's yeah like a card table is like notoriously garbage um having yeah. a nice staple heavy desk if you can get one that doesn't move around so much definitely helps yeah even the kitchen table if the oh, kitchen yeah. table is a absolutely big wood table that's better absolutely and and also don't paint when there's like d-bags around you that like kick the fucking table as they get up and move around slap those fools oh my god in your middle of like trying to paint some and the whole table goes, and you're like oh i hate you you're out of here so two Two tips. One, work on stabilization and finding the most stable way for you to paint. Not the most comfortable. It will become comfortable if you make yourself do it over time and you will become better with brush control if you hold yourself to that. There's no one way that's better than all the others, but the more points of contact, the better. And number two would be be aware of what brush control is and try to, if you're trying to like wear the the cloak swoops in on the guy's butt and you're trying to get around in his in the backside of the pants and stuff like you're working on brush control right there having the brush go exactly where you want it and where you don't you know there are a lot of points of painting where brush control isn't something you need to really focus on but if you practice and you're very 
proactive in trying to draw that straight line and trying to make sure I edge highlight right. It gets better naturally. So yeah. the more you paint, the more you are aware of it, it's going to happen naturally. All right. Very Number cool. three for Scotty. Number three for me. Um, the most important thing. Let me take you back, John, about six years ago. Uh, I was browsing Reddit. I discovered the mini painting subreddit. I found they had an IRC chat channel, which if you're not familiar with IRC, it's basically the inspiration for things like Discord and Slack and all these other things. It's the original chat channel, but m mostly used by like programmers and software engineers. But I discovered they had, a, they had an IRC and I joined that chat channel and at this time, um, my frame of thought was that the only miniature painting company worth my time was Games Workshop. Mm. And that anyone else that was painting things non-GW knew in the back of their head that GW was superior and they were doing it for spite reasons. This is what I thought. Mm. So, uh, not spite reasons, I'm gonna make, you know, spiteful things. Anyways. So I come into this chat channel with this opinion, and I'm not laying down the law, but I say things that you know imply what I'm thinking, and I got served up a cold sandwich of, uh, you're an idiot. Um, so there are so many companies out there that make beautiful miniatures. To me, it's almost impossible to believe that someone couldn't find a sculpt they were enthusiastic about that was non-GW related. And this, this idea expands out to so many more things, right? So if you stay in the ecosystem of Games Workshop, you see a certain subject matter, you see a certain painting style, you follow a certain kind of painter, and then you paint in a certain way, right? Mm -hmm. By expanding your options, and I'll have a link of manufacturers down in the description to the ones that I personally like. Um, not only do you expand your subject matter, but you also see other painters that paint these models in different ways and then get inspired about how to paint things in a different way. So just increasing that pool of options increases your understanding of the miniature painting world and all the options that go into it. So I would say actively seek out a company other than Games Workshop and painters that paint things other than Games Workshop stuff, even if you know at your core you are a Games Workshop boy or girl, tried and true, try to expand your view of the miniature painting world and then your your understanding of it and your options and, and all those things. That was a, a huge learning lesson for me. People don't just buy non-GW despite them. They buy them because other companies do takes on concepts that are significantly, I mean, I would say better or just non-existent in GW and the sculpts and the casts are freaking mint. Mm -hmm. They're amazing. Yeah, there's a whole wide world out there. I mean, we're looking at this thing. This thing is crispy AF. The cast yeah. on this is legitimately good. This Dark Future Creations thing. Um, so yeah. Yeah, and it's only... It's only increasing by the day, the yeah, amount of companies that are producing things. And now with a 3D printing realm oh, available. Gosh, yeah, we just shot up exponentially. Yeah, what What's available out there. Um, so if you don't want just the grimdark space of 40K, well, there's a lot of other space stuff. Yeah, or the high fantasy of Age of Sigmar. You want maybe something that's kind of like Robin Hood. Um, yeah. So, there's so many. There's so many things out there. Uh, it's amazing. Yep. Okay. So to summarize, your point three is 
pitfall for a new beginner painter is that it's GW or it's garbage and just really? tunnel vision. Any any gaming company, GW is the big one, so I, I made fun of it. But if you're like playing Knights Models, DC Universe, if you're playing uh, uh, Weirds, Malifaux, if you're playing Guild Ball, and you're into miniature painting, obviously if you're just into Guild Ball, John's ripping ass. <laughs> uh, if you're into Guild Ball and you're just in it for the playing, you don't, you don't give a hoot about painting, then obviously there's no need for you to go out and get other stuff but if you're into painting um oh my gosh yeah the world of miniature painting is so freaking big i thought you said oh my gosh because you just smelled my fart you're like oh my gosh you know so far it's it's stayed mostly on that side of the room which i appreciate yeah the air duct is circulating over there you're kind of just breathing in your own your own my own nothing this was was recycled fart (laughs) yeah soon enough it's gonna be good smell like potpourri (laughs) filtered so many times (laughs) yeah take a chance take a chance take a chance on small mini companies because they make awesome stuff okay my final one number three three things i wish i would have known three things yeah this is the third one oh of my three when i started painting most dangerous most dangerous the dangerous pitfall that you definitely want to avoid or else you'll die, die. number three dang did we practice that i don't know we didn't but we probably probably sounds like we did <laughs> <laughs> um number three ten thousand hours to become a master at something is bullshit Whoa. (laughs) Okay. This is something we hear a lot. It's in the realm. It's in the hobby space. It's in the art space. It's in the whatever space to become a master 10,000 hours. And it sounds good. And it sounds right. But at its core, that is bullshit. Let me tell you why it's bullshit. Because that presumes that just by doing something, you get better at it. Me... If I sat for 10,000 hours and played GCD chords on my acoustic guitar, GCD, GCD, after 10,000 hours, am I a master, Scott? Yeah, but no one presumes if you're doing something for 10,000 hours, you're doing the same thing over and over again. That's that's an over-exaggerated example. Yeah. It's an over-exaggerated example. Over-exaggeration is redundant. (laughs) Oh, it's a hyper-over-exaggeration then. (laughs) Just to trigger some of you commenters like talking about grammar and shit. <laughs> um, it, it, that's a, that's an exaggeration, <laughs> but it it it's to serve my point. If I just do base shade highlights for ten thousand hours, and I'm I'm, I'm going to get better from a uh, brush control standpoint, probably as long as I'm actively trying to get better. Um, my final products from year from hour one to hour ten thousand will definitely improve, but I'm not going to really make the strides to become whatever you determine as a master or someone that's a professional or whatever whatever labels we put on stuff. Me just going through the motions isn't going to make me better. What I really wish of all new painters is that you're aware 
and proactive in the process. I know I did a did YouTube video about, I talked about this because it really is to me from a beginner's painting standpoint, the most important thing. And the greatest part about this tip is this tip never goes out of style. You never outgrow this tip and shed this tip. In fact, the people that are some of the greatest painters in the world embrace this tip and you'll see they're painting a new, some new, you know, like tweak to their painting or new something that they've enveloped in their style or how their NMM has evolved. It's because they're doing something and they're like, but in reality, there's a little bit more of like an amber haze that comes off of the metal and the sheen as it's reflected off the ground, the dirt. And I'm going to try to build that in there. <laughs> quit in that face. <laughs> you being attentive and you having your mind open to learning and absorbing what's happening. This isn't just a painting. Isn't just an aggressive technique tactic it isn't just i put the paint on you and you will do what i tell you to do model it is i put the paint on here what happened what did it do did it do what i thought it was going to do hmm. now that it's there what do i do now so it is a conversation between you and the MIDI. Aww. It is not a speech that you are giving to the MIDI. How artistic. Yeah, well, we're here for art. So, yeah. so, so. the artistic humility to, to realize that what you do maybe didn't have the outcome you expected and then to make note of what that outcome was. Yes. Okay. And that just because it didn't do what you thought it was going to do or what you screamed at it to do doesn't mean you did it wrong. And if you did it a different way, it would come out the way you wanted. Maybe that's just not the way the paint, the brush, the model, the undercoat, the zenithal, the existing layers, the whatever, infinite number of factors. Maybe that's just not how it's going to gonna happen. But if you listen to what the model's saying back to you after you put that on and you learn from that. You're fucking up, John. <laughs> My eyeball isn't way over there. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got fucking eyeball whites all over my ear. <laughs> that wasn't even close, you dipshit. <laughs> my hairline extends out of my forehead. <laughs> well, I guess it does normally, but... <sighs> so, I guess that's my biggest one, is listen to what the model is telling you. Be proactive in learning while you're painting, and then react and adapt. It should always be improvisation improvisation why did i say improvisation because that's just not even process on the wrong syllable yes yes it's always about improvising while you're painting you you know the only time where i say it's not um is when you have a 17 step process to paint your whole army and you have it all figured out boom 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 but how did you get those 17 steps and how did you know that they were the right ones and all that you did that R&D step. You did the R&D. You did the listening, the, the observing, the changing to get your sample model for your whole army mm -hmm. done the way you wanted. Mm -hmm. So you did that step. Mm -hmm. You're just not replicating it for the whole army, but you've already done it. Mm -hmm. So that's my number three. There are our six most dangerous pitfalls. Most dangerous. If you guys have anything you'd like to add to the comments section below, we'd appreciate that. And we'd also appreciate maybe if you kind of dug deeper than contrast or thinning your paints, stuff that I think every single miniature painter probably knows, other than people who just picked up a brush and haven't seen the internet yet. Um, <laughs> so yeah, dig deep. 
think of some really valuable lessons you learned, uh, whether it was you're a beginner and you've been painting for three months or whether you're uh, an expert and you've been painting for 10 years. Whatever it is, then the comment section could be a great resource for beginners and also intermediates alike. I dig it. Oh, can you dig it? Uh, all right, out of the news, Games Workshop announced the actual starter set <laughs> for ninth edition, ninth, ninth or eighth, ninth, 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 ninth edition, forty k. It's not Indominus. Spoilers. Uh, that was a limited edition box, as they clearly stated. Clearly, the- very clear, very clear. No about one that. thought that it was the starter set. I didn't. I sure didn't. Um. Anyways. And so they actually, they didn't come out with one starter set. They came out with three. There's what? There's three different boxes. Really? Yeah. What are in these different races, obviously? No, no, no. (laughs) They're all Space Marines and Necrons. Seriously? There's size. There's like small, medium, and large. Okay. I want the big gulp. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So they kind of did this in eighth edition, like not releasing them all at the same time. They had like a... They had obviously the big dark Imperium box, but then they had something I think it was called like First Strike, where it was like yeah, 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 you know, it had like four or five models from each, you know, Death Guard and Space Marines, and some little cardboard shipping containers that you could have on the table, and then this <laughs> little little paper mat. Kind of learn to play the game, yeah, basics and and Dip that the kind toes. of stuff. Yep, and then I don't know what the difference between medium and large. I'm like large is going to be their typical box type yeah. of thing they weren't just so explicit about it and they kind of rolled them out one after the other i think yeah in eighth edition they weren't all together it was just dark imperium was dark imperium but then i think they had at least two other boxes throughout there that were kind of accomplishing the same task that these three are going to try to do now okay so whatever not uh, as wild and now as i originally thought it was they have definitely done something like that before yeah yep they're just kind of giving you all the option up front which is kind of nice um otherwise you found that maybe they were seeing that you take the eighth edition on the dark imperium there were people like uh the game kind of looks cool i don't know a lot of people that play it yet the, the entry point was a little bit too deep for me i can't just pick something off off the shelf i have to know a local guy to split the box with or i gotta get on a facebook group to try and there was just a little bit higher level of entry um and here it's just like i can grab it off the shelf and buy that one for $40 or buy that one for $140. I don't know. I wonder what percentage of people buying boxes with two armies in it are buying it with a buddy with the intention of playing those two armies and playing the games in, in the box set. Kind of like how you might get a magic starter set with two decks in it just to play with those two decks and have fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like the majority of people, maybe it's not the majority, Oh, uh, maybe it's the plurality, but people buy that box with the intention of keeping one half and then selling the other half or yeah. splitting it with someone with no intention of playing with them just to like, you know, okay, you could have Necrons, I can have the Space Marines. Yeah. I'm curious. Cause that, that sounds like a fun prospect to a person who's new to the hobby. It's like this, is, this box has everything we need in it. Let's get it. Let's like assemble the models together, paint them together and then play a game. That sounds like such an epic friendship building thing. I know. It's all in one box. That See, that would be the perfect... Okay, just think about this, Scott. Think about this alternate universe. Okay, alternate universe. You and I are both 22 years old. <laughs> okay? All right? We have an apartment together. Okay? I'm, I'm, I'm erect. Yeah. <laughs> all right? We're, we're about to... 
we're in our finishing up our whatever year of college. We're You're not a part. decade older than me. No, no, nope, not We've in this. We've seen the same fucking movies. Yeah. <laughs> I've still seen all the good ones. And you. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're going to say. Don't you? <laughs> um, and, uh, okay. So we're finishing up like our junior year in college. Okay. Coronavirus hits. Everything's on lockdown. Um, we got all virtual classes, right? We're not going to them. We're not going to them. We're not doing them. Okay. We're like, what the fuck are we going to do all day, every day in an apartment? Play Dota. Dude. Yeah. Yes. That's what we would do. That's what we'd do. Um, but like, dude, Dominus, let's, let's, let's split it. Yeah. Dude, we're in the same apartment all day, every day. Let's learn this game. We'll play. A, Dibs on the Necrons. Yeah. Well, yeah, shit. <laughs> this is where we'd have problems. Um, and I'm like, yeah, we set it just on the coffee table in the living room. The board's always up. Every day we play like three or four games to learn the rules. Three or four games? Uh, dude, we got nothing else to do. We're playing 18 hours a day. We're not eating. <laughs> no, we're not sleeping. We're not eating. We're painting them while we're playing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whenever a guy dies, you got to paint one of his limbs. Like. <laughs> uh, that'd be a pretty fun video where it's like, what takes longer? Paint a, paint an army or play a game. Forty Hammer Forty K. Hopefully, painting the army. What if we had to paint while we played a game? Like we had to, like four paints out or whatever, and you actually had to paint your dudes and put them back down. And then it's like, oh, it's my turn. You're shooting. Okay, I'm gonna paint this dude. You got forty eight hours dude. to spare. We yeah. could uh, we could try it but, out. Yeah, we could we could do it. I mean, dude, the regular game, we'd probably get everything base counted and washed. In the three and a half hours it takes to play a game of 40K. Yeah, especially if you got like an airbrush kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Think about that for being, you know, being super productive. Dudes, I got all my hobby dime done together. Same time. Yeah, but you, can't, you can't be picking up things that you're playing with and you'll lose the position. Why not? You, I just said why. Dude, this is not Guild Ball. Guild Ball, a quarter of an inch matters. Yeah. Yeah. What are you doing, Dobbs? Dobbsies. He's just looking for food. Here comes the kitty. He sees the rest of your lion bar over there, and he's like, that's going to make me a lion. Dobby, what do you think about Indominus? Speaking of Indominus, and also impending additional Necron and Space Marine supplements, all you're really seeing right now on Instagram is freaking Necrons and Space Marines. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we've we have officially hit the black hole. Uh, don't show me your butthole, cat. It's going to spray you. <laughs> probably deserve it um he's gonna eat your lion bar i told you he will eat literally anything this table dude yeah we hit a two we hit at least a two week we're going on a over a week at this point of taping and it probably is going to continue through this episode going live of 80 percent of the models you see on instagram are indominus models yeah i'm contributing to that you are you're part of the problem not part of the solution scott i am and it's fine. It's the new thing. And people are also want to get on the bandwagon. They think that if I show off the new thing from the new GW thing, it'll like make me. <laughs> We're laughing about the cat right now. He's just sitting right in the middle of the camera. Yeah. Um, it's going to, you know, it's going to bring me followers and people are going to react yeah. more to my stuff and yeah. I'm going to get more traction because I'm painting the new hotness. Not because, I mean, plenty of people think that they're actually awesome models. But not is not the same ratio of people that are painting that stuff and 
slapping it all over the place. Yeah, it's a vicious kind of cycle, you know? People paint yeah. it just because it's cool and it's hot, but they don't actually like the miniatures. Speaking of, I got a whole Indominus set that I have zero intention of painting the whole thing. Actually, I'm probably going to paint one thing. Just the one that, just the you, one you uh, bird any, people. You want any space marines? And I want the one. The executioner's head? He looks stupid. Uh, what? What? How stupid people are upset, Scott. Uh, damn it. <laughs> it looks very silly. No, uh, but I don't get it. He's, I, I mean, I dig like the mask thing, but like the top of his head, it, it looks like he's got a like an egg-shaped head where the egg is upside down. It just seems very strange. Yeah, it's like they're they're going to the next step of like bald head marine. Next step, marine with kind of a weird little face mask thing. Coronavirus edition. Coronavirus. And now, like, how can we make it over 9,000? Yeah. And they just, like, did another weird thing. The head just looks weird. I do odd. not like it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if you want one, it's You're, yours. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. You you have the Necrons all spoken for. Uh, I told the guy who wanted the Necrons that I'm going to keep one of them. Uh, maybe just, two just of them. Possi- just, just maybe two of them. Maybe two of them, because I think I might want All right, cool. Yeah, that's fine. You can do that, too. Because, I mean, are you going to keep a hero or are you going to keep a regular dude? I want to keep one of the more special ones, yeah. Yeah. There's a couple a, of them I really like. I like yeah. the dude that's kind of a, kind of like cast. It's like a spellcaster. He's like kind of floating. He's like, like whoa. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah. He's, Is he's the good. guy that's like sucking the brains and the flesh off of someone by touching an orb? Is he in that box? I pretty think he sure. is. Yeah, that one's kind of crazy. That one's also awesome. Yeah, too big though. Yeah, he is pretty big. But yeah, but he probably most, because I'm sure he already has one box. Yeah. So do you need two or three of big dude bro? Big like, dude bro. Most yeah. times in these armies, they don't run like six heroes of HQs, sorry. Six HQs of the same one. Yeah. They typically don't. So That's he probably true. just wants the bodies. Yeah, like the Necron Warriors yeah. and the Canoptic Swarms and stuff like that. Canoptic. Mr. Canoptic Planetary. Planetary Mr. Canoptic. Nope. <laughs> Don't even. I could, I could, like, I could be the weird owl of Warhammer Sons. Yeah, you just keep telling yourself that. <laughs> All right, last bit of news we got is KFC. You should talk about this. This one. is the most important news that this podcast has ever uttered. <laughs> Stop what you are doing and listen. Kentucky Fried Chicken is going to 3D print tendies. <laughs> This is the moment that our entire lives have converged to. Everything that's led up to this moment. Minis. 3D printing. Tendies. <laughs> the Venn diagram. The, the pyramid. Is KFC is in the middle. It's the eye. The Illuminati eye. <laughs> <laughs> so they're using real... It, it's made of real food. It's like real enzymes and real proteins and all this stuff. And this kind of 3D printing food thing has been around for a while. Um, but KFC is like, they're making a real go of it. Apparently the research is there. They must've had some tendy testers. Speaking of which, how do we get that job? How do we get on the list for that? Yeah. I want to sign ups. I know a friend who works for Lando Lakes who runs tests for various cheese and butter products oh, all the baby. time. So I know how to get on that list, but yeah, we need to find that guy, but for tendies. Yeah. Tendies and or tendy sauces. Yes. Because then you get to eat the, the tendies, tendies to taste the sauces. Brilliant. This is a great job. Brilliant. All right. We are quitting the podcast and YouTube and our rest of our lives to go. Professional tendy tasters. tasters. I'd, yep. I'd have some vendies too. I would. I'd be willing to do that. Mm-hmm.
So this is legit. I am excited for this to not work because Americans are pussies. <laughs> <laughs> They'd be like, no, I'm not doing it. That's not American. It's not real chicken. That's been disgustingly raised in cages and they shit yeah. on each other from above and yeah. down below. You seen those documentaries? Oh boy, have oh I. god! Because of that, my wife exclusively buys meat from farmers market where she farmers markets where she can source where the animals are being raised, uh, which is definitely more expensive. But yeah, supporting that kind of farming industry, which is not really a knock on that industry, because it's like how do you keep up with the amount of meat that Americans require without disgusting things but the reality is there's so much fucking space in america mm -hmm. that is that is unused like the entirety of america could fit in texas yeah we don't need this much land uh you, you definitely have bigger farms but i'm not an expert on it so i don't really know yeah Anyways, different topic yeah well that and we all fall back onto like makeshift science of of terminology yeah. the, the number one uh issue with this is the word organic <laughs> organic, organic doesn't have any scientific quantifiable data associated with it. It means it comes from nature. Mm, nat natural. Natural, right? Okay. It's all natural. Well, this is an all natural chicken. It's not part uh, part robot, part chicken. <laughs> and what is nat and what is natural? Chemicals come from nature, you know? Yeah, man. Poison ivy is natural. <laughs> right. Heroin is natural. <laughs> is it? It all comes... Yes. It, well, it, it, it comes from nature. It's not synthesized like LSD or something like that? I don't think so. Okay. Cocaine. Because like DMT is natural. You're right. Yeah. Mar not marijuana. Yes. It's very natural. Now this is a drug podcast. Right. <laughs> all sorts of things. Supernatural supernatural <laughs> so they come from from the ghost realm i kind of like that name supernatural for something i don't know what mm. i always i have like this mental list of like names for things and every once in a while I'll, I'll i'll message you and be like this is a good name for something yes you have no specifics of what it is pin that, <laughs> pin that. Uh, supernatural it was a tv show on the wb in like the early 2000s <laughs> i think it was the name of the show supernatural i'm sure there are people that watch supernatural that are listening now um, and you know what just 3D printing chicken reminds me of? You ever seen the first Spy Kids? Yes. You remember when they put a packet in the microwave and push a button and it turns into a burger? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like a, when I was a kid, I was like, that is sick. Awesome. Um, I want that to exist. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we're that far away from it. That's the news. That's the news. All right, welcome to the end of the podcast. Thank you for hanging out with us and letting us talk about the pitfalls that we're aware of that are maybe a little bit more off the beaten path. Uh, don't forget about Dark Future Creations, the sponsor of this episode. All things linked in the description below. If you like this podcast, it's a big if, and you want to <laughs> support it, there are multiple ways you can do it, namely merchandise. John is modeling off one of our beautiful T-shirts. We also have a sweater, a female T-shirt, that's it, right? We're uh, in the semi-final stages, <laughs> semi-final stages of a new design. Oh, yes. So we're food-oriented one. <laughs> so we're hoping that that will get to you soon. Cool, cool. You can also support us on Patreon. There's two tiers. You can toss us a buck so we can each afford a soda. The, the, the Diet Dew for Johnny Boy and the Dr. Pepper for me. Uh, and, or, or a or, Turbo Nas. Or a Turbo Nas <laughs> to get me going. Not a sponsor. Uh, and also you can do five bucks, which uh, gets you access to an extended episode where we talk about 
new miniatures that we've seen from other painters that we like. We give feedback to a community member so that that tier also allows you to submit uh, miniatures for us to critique. It also allows you to submit topics for us to discuss. And we talk about things like new stuff we tried and experimented with and failed and had success. So extended episode. If you don't got the cash to toss out, you can give us a review on Apple Podcasts or virtually anywhere where you listen to podcasts. Tell your nerd friends about us and how awesome we are. Yeah. I think that's it. That I think it. that's it. Getting better and better at the outcome. Yeah, you're podcast. good. You get like it's like you've done that before. Yeah, maybe. Twenty sometimes. Twenty oh, no, sometimes. You split it up. You do the Yeah, it's about fifty fifty. It's about thirteen times, twelve times. We're we're coming up on the one year anniversary one too. Year, dude. We're gonna eat cake in front of the mic. Two front. more episodes. That's one year. <laughs> Stop doing that. You just triggered everyone. <laughs> All right. You got anything else you want to say to these lovely sprues and spruettes? You want to give them a big hug? Are you hugging them? I'm hugging them. John's hugging them. Virtual hugs for everyone. Some vugs. <laughs> <laughs> what a wombo. Oh, some vugs. All dude. right. There's no better way to end a dick podcast episode than to give <laughs> some vugs. Go eat your meat and potatoes. Until next time, we will catch you on the flippity flop. <laughs>